0: This is a Rooster Teeth Production. In
1: 1932, a 20-month-year-old child was abducted from their home in Hopewell Township, New Jersey. What's more is that the parents were home as well as the butler and nurse. The story quickly became a national event as courts called this the Trial of the Century. Today, we will talk about one of the most famous kidnapping cases of all time, the Lindbergh Kidnapping. This is Red Web. Welcome back to Red Web. It's another Monday mystery. I'm Trevor Collins with me as always, Alfredo Diaz. We got the trial of the century. Have you ever heard of this one, Fredo?
0: No, I've never heard of this, but this is like, I don't know. I feel like this one hits me. Oh, yeah. Right at the core, like immediately. Like, I don't have kids. I do plan to have kids someday. And just mm-hmm. knowing that someone was abducted, you said, from their home while their
1: parents were there. Yeah, it's a pretty wild case. In fact, it's it's a relatively famous case. The case of the century, they called it, and there's so much to dive into with this one in particular. I was honestly surprised when Christian and I started to do the research. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this into two parts, kind of like we did in Cicada. In this first part, we're going to break down the investigation and everything that went into the timeline of the kidnapping. And then next week, we're going to dive into the twists and turns that the theories provide us. I think what makes it the most terrifying is
0: that, like, you know, if your kid runs off or you're in a big, crazy area and you lose sight of them for a second, things can go horribly wrong. But it's always the, like, I'm at home with Mm -hmm. my child. You've got to be really ballsy. Okay, this person was really ballsy. Like,
1: Right. It's supposed to be your safe place. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, right under your nose like that? Like, that's...
1: Yeah. If you can't be safe in your own home with your parents being home, like, woof. So let's dive into it. We're in the 30s here. March 1st, 1932, Charles Augustus Lindbergh, son of famed aviator Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anne Morrow Lindbergh, was kidnapped from his nursery on the second floor of the Lindbergh home. So Charles Lindbergh, just a very, very quick and dirty background on this guy. He became world famous for being the first pilot to make a nonstop flight from New York City to Paris and won a prize for doing so. And uh, essentially had a lot of other things going for him. You know, he built his own plane with minimal funding, he beat out a lot of other more experienced and more well-funded individuals in doing this, and he also like ended up making uh or helping to invent medical devices. So this guy was very smart, very well known. At the time, he was Time magazine's person of the year and the youngest person to be so.
0: See, even crazier the fact that this guy was a public figure. Oh, right? yeah. oh and, yeah. And us and what we do, people know who we are, people know. Our names and what we look like, and so, yeah, man, this is this is hitting, hitting hitting close. Also, the second floor, second
1: floor, in and out. This person just run up. All right, go, keep, keep <laughs> going. Jeez, it's yeah, it's it's spooky to say the least. But uh, this kidnapping was discovered by the Lindberghs' nurse, Betty Gao, who checked the room after realizing that the child was not with his mother. She alerted the Lindberghs who immediately went to the nursery to find a ransom note had been placed in an envelope on the windowsill. With poor grammar and handwriting, the note said as follows, quote, Dear Sir, have $50,000 ready, $25,000 in $20 bills, $15,000 in $10 bills, and $10,000 in $5 bills. After two to four days, we will inform you where to deliver the money. We warn you For making anything public or notifying the police the child is in good care indication for all letters are signature and three holes end quote that last sentence is a little confusing but at the bottom of the ransom note there were two connected blue circles surrounding a smaller red circle and i also think it's very much worth noting i said poor grammar and handwriting Uh, we wrote it down as it was written on the ransom note but many of these words are horribly misspelled Money doesn't have the E in it. Anything replaces the T-H with a D. Good is G-U-T. And signature oh. has an extra N before the G. A bunch of words are just kind of either yeah. phonetically spelled or just kind of clumsily spelled. <sighs> okay, so like gut instinct, I'm sitting here
0: saying, okay, this doesn't seem like a professional job, right? These are just mm-hmm. people that are just like, oh, I know that person. I've seen them on, you know, the news or whatever. I'm going to go and try and get some money from him. But I've sat here with you and listened to so many conspiracies that I'm like, what if they're doing that on purpose? Maybe they're trying to throw them for a loop. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, that's what I mean. That's what uh, my brain's saying. This show is messing with my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and we'll tap into this a little bit more in the theories section. But the the way the handwriting was done in this note, it looks a little shaky maybe that's nerves maybe that's adrenaline maybe that's i didn't want to spend the time finding magazine letters and cutting them out and so instead you disguise your handwriting with a little bit of a shake
0: like you can get got that way with your handwriting
1: that's very true so there's many ways that this could go but it is worth noting the uh, poor grammar handwriting and misspelling
0: now if i was a parent Mm -hmm. uh all of this is absolutely terrifying all of this is just i can't
1: even fathom. Unreal,
0: right yeah you can't fathom you can't put into words But I'm the kind of person that I'm just like, okay, okay, like it's, it's not, it's pretty much worst case scenario, but it could be worse in the sense of like, I mean, you don't know these people, these people are bad people They took your child, but at least they're not like, you know, if you don't give us the money by, you know, we'll end your child. We'll kill them. You know what I mean? They're just like, Hey, they're 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 indicating it's in good shape. Just give us the damn money.
1: Yeah. So there's a, a light at the end of this very long, dark tunnel. Yeah, right? obviously, like, very, very bad situation. Uh, but
0: I'm just, I'm the kind of person that tries and take just, like, anything to just, like, okay, okay, figure this out. Like, we're, we're going to get moving, but at least they're not, like, threatening to kill my child right now. Like, they're For like sure. hey, they're safe. Just give us the money. So I'm like, work on the money. Work on, like, with the authorities, etc. But, yeah. yeah, it's scary. A,
1: a tiny silver lining, which is great. Yep. So, of course, authorities were immediately called to the Lindbergh House And they investigated the property with his butler, where they discovered traces of mud inside the nursery. Footprints and two sections of a ladder, as well as a baby's blanket, were also found underneath the nursery window outside. And so there was evidence that the ladder had broken either during the ascent or more likely during the descent, because it seems that obviously the person was able to make it to the window. Uh, And just for a mental image of this ladder, it wasn't directly underneath the window, as you might expect. It was a it landed a little bit like midway of that window and it was off to the right. So it's a bit of a weird kind of angle that you'd one would have to kind of slip in and out of that window to the ladder from. Mm. It's also interesting and I think important to note at this point that there were no fingerprints found at the scene, either inside or outside, which is very, very interesting. New Jersey officials offered a $25,000 reward for finding and returning young Charles with the Lindberghs offering an additional $50,000 on top of that. Ooh. And in 2020, the time of recording this, that's roughly, that's just shy of a million dollars in today's money. So that's uh, that's no small amount of, uh, of reward money. Yeah. There.
0: As the kidnappers, how do you not see the reward for returning this child and go hmm is there a way that we Mm -hmm. you know get money you know this way right is this a cleaner way yeah is is there a cleaner way maybe you know we let someone discover this person or you know who who can we get in on this or whatever but obviously heavy investigation will go down you're kind of putting yourself right you know in the spotlight of it all in the thick of it but I don't know. It would it would yeah. cross one's mind.
1: I I think you're onto something for sure, and and uh, maybe we'll find an answer as to why that didn't happen, in the coming uh, tidbits here. Oh damn! But okay. but yeah, I think you're onto something. You know, if you if you were in possession of a child and there was a reward or there's your ransom, one is definitely uh, going to land you with some jail time or worse. The other, you might might be able to finagle your way out of it cleanly. Oh yeah, I found this child. Uh, you know, uh, can I have the money, please? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, but we've uh, we've started the investigation. It's a few days later. It's March 6 now, and a second ransom letter arrives at the Lindberghs' home. It was postmarked March 4th and had the same red and blue circles from the first letter, basically kind of identifying that this is the original person. In the letter, they raised the ransom to seventy thousand. So now they're pushing, you know, up towards where the reward money lands. And at this Uh. point, yeah, and at this point, in addition to the official investigation, Lindbergh hired private investigators through his attorney, Henry Breckenridge. On March 8th, another individual came forward, Dr. John F. Condon, in an attempt to help the investigation, sent a message to the Bronx Home News offering to act as an intermediary and to pay his own $1,000 ransom. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why he was paying the money. Maybe that was to basically solidify his role as an intermediary between the Lindberghs and the kidnapping individuals or party. We don't know how many or who it is at this point. Uh, So yeah, we have Condon now, and he's going to be a key character moving forward. Same day, uh, Breckenridge received a third letter from the kidnapper, refusing Lindbergh's attempt to appoint his own intermediary and instead stating that Condon would be the one to uh, to fulfill that role. Lindbergh approved and began using Condon as the intermediary moving forward.
0: I think it was very smart on the kidnappers, you know? I mean, obviously when you sit there and you go, hey, uh, the authorities, $25,000, and then the family goes, okay, $50,000. It's like, you run that risk, right? Because the pros, everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of money. Like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. try and, you know, play my hand in this. situation but then the cons right the people that are holding your child ransom sit there and go okay well you got more money so we're gonna match that yeah
1: we'll we'll take all of that gee now we're negotiating that is that is rough right because then you think like okay I got the money together maybe I can get my child back Mm, we want more now uh so now suddenly the goalpost is moving and that can be very unsettling yep so on March 9th now Conan received another letter from the kidnappers accepting his proposal and the two parties began correspondence through newspaper postings. Condon referred to himself in the postings as Jaffsy, so that way the kidnappers could understand when it was him and not somebody else, and that way the communication could be transparent between the parties. March 10th, Condon was given the $70,000 ransom amount to pass on to the kidnappers, and uh, he immediately began negotiations with them. On March 12th, Conan was delivered a fifth ransom note by a taxi cab driver who was given the note themselves by an anonymous stranger. So now we have other people getting involved with these notes. And I think it's worth noting that a lot of these ransom notes, I'm I'm not going to be reading most of these. If you want, I believe you can can Google these and find them. But some of them are as simple as essentially saying, give us the money or the child will die. Oh, okay. Well, there it is. Yeah. The ransom notes constitute... Anything from a full-fledged letter to essentially like a note passed in class. Um, so that's why we're not going to dive into those those gritty details. You'd think that as the kidnappers, you mm-hmm. don't want to just
0: keep sending letters, right? Because right. that's just, it leaves such a large
1: paper space trail. for error, you know? And yeah, it's just like... Well, now you got a taxi cab driver here. You know, you can track his route. You can say, okay, well can you find who the anonymous stranger was it just gives you more openings to be found to your point
0: yeah it's just not as clean as i mean then again this whole situation wasn't clean right the person let well, scaled scale to the second floor and then snatched the child and dipped out mm-hmm. um
1: well, i mean
0: i don't know some would argue that that's pretty clean but it's clean i mean there's no fingerprints there's
1: footprints there's <laughs> yeah. mud but eh. yeah
0: it's, just, it's starting to just lay itself out as one huge mess
1: yeah, and we'll, we'll dive into some more of the details in the investigation section for those eager for some of those revelations. But uh, going back to the note, that fifth ransom note from the taxicab driver, simply put, the note indicated that yet another note would be beneath a stone at a vacant stand that was 100 feet away from a nearby subway station. So it's like now they're on a wild goose chase for other notes that were planted prior. Well, Eventually, Condon found that new note, and it provided instructions for a meetup. Condon would meet with the unidentified person named within the note as John, and they would would meet up at the Woodlawn Cemetery, which is how this individual got their nickname moving forward, Cemetery John. That's how we're going to identify this person moving forward. Condon went to the cemetery and was accompanied by an armed bodyguard en route to the meetup, but was told that he must do the actual meetup alone. According to Condon, Cemetery John was a Scandinavian soldier who was part of a group of three men and two women. So this is no small scale situation here. Now we have a total of five people, him being one of the three men and then there also being two women. And then during this conversation, Cemetery John indicated that the baby was being held hostage on a nearby boat and was unharmed. He also offered proof in stating that the child's sleeping suit would be soon returned. So that way you could basically prove that, yes, we are the ones with your child. Yes, they are okay. But apparently in these conversations, Conan said that uh, Cemetery John indicated that, quote, would I burn if the package were dead? End quote. Essentially saying like, now am I going to be taken to jail or am I going to, you can read this many different ways. Burn could indicate being executed if the package aka the child were dead or it could be more of a religious burning right you know after death Mm -hmm. maybe going to hell or whatever but it's interesting it's really like let's earmark this in our minds because for this person to indicate well what would let me just put this out there hypothetically the child might be dead hypothetically Mm -hmm. what does that mean right so it's very (laughs) interesting for this person to say he's completely fine but hypothetically if he wasn't you know am i gonna burn like Obviously not as blasé, but it's very interesting that he even asked that question, right?
0: Yeah, it seems like this person is just feeling uneasy about the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, again, to me, it just says that this is not a professional. This is someone that's just kind of <laughs> is running while they're thinking with it, you know, just kind of figuring right. out as they go type of situation.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound super planned. It sounds like someone who's looking for some quick cash. And that's yeah. about it.
0: And then, you know, they had a, the idea. They thought it out a little bit. And now that they're in this situation, they're just like, oh, okay, this is serious. I'm still trying to figure this out. Uh, bold that they would talk about how the child is in a ship somewhere.
1: Yeah. that And like, that will come into play a little maybe, bit later, too.
0: I don't know. Maybe the, This podcast has done things to me like <laughs> maybe he's trying to throw the maybe there's one whole big thing he's just trying to throw everybody off and he's actually a genius mastermind but maybe bold maybe. to just be like hey pinpoint it down it's in somewhere in the water
1: i mean hey you know what and i'll take that as a compliment i like to think that red web opens your third eye you start playing four dimensional chess at any given turn really what happens is any piece of evidence you you start Mm -hmm. to get cynical you start to think of anything that could cause that evidence rather than maybe occam's razor indicating what is the most likely uh answer to be had look
0: i'd like to sit here and be like you know what i
1: wasn't i wasn't playing chess i was playing
0: checkers i wasn't the box wasn't even open there were no board game boxes open i was like i'm not even i'm away from all of this you know, I'm fascinated by, you know, when when I do hear this stuff, but like, mm-hmm. no, nah, I'm not going to open Pandora's box. And right. Here it is. Open. You
1: know, I, I'll bring it to you. I'll, I'll open it and bring it to you like a pizza delivery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just leave it at the door.
1: Yeah. So here we are a few days later after this conversation. We have four days later on March 16th. Condon did, in fact, receive the child's sleeping suit. That's what it's called. Essentially, the pajamas of the child, as well as a seventh ransom note. March 21st, Condon receives yet another ransom note informing him that the kidnapping had been planned for a year and warned him of the need for complete compliance. About eight days later, March 29th, Gao, the Lindbergh's nurse, if you recall, found the child's thumb guard near the entrance to their estate, seemingly indicating that, you know, if uh, the person climbed down with, with Charles Jr. and then made it off the property, whether on foot or otherwise, and uh was in a hurry that the thumb guard which prevents the child from sucking on their thumb fell off somewhere towards the uh the driveway or the entryway of the estate which so now we have like almost like evidence pointing that yes the child did in fact that night leave the property so we're painting a more vivid image here March 30th a ninth ransom note is delivered to Condon threatening to increase the demand to $100,000 and refusing a code to use the newspaper columns. So essentially saying that they didn't want to use the newspaper to hold correspondence any longer is how I read that. April 1st, the 10th ransom note was given to Condon. He was told to have the money ready for the following note, which came the next day. The 11th note was given to Condon yet again through another taxi cab driver who who had received it from a stranger. And this note told him to find the 12th note under a stone in front of a greenhouse. So now we have another hidden, planted message. Condon met again with Cemetery John and gave him $50,000, supposedly said it was the most money that they could gather at that time, and Cemetery John accepted that amount and gave Condon the 13th and final note, informing him that the child could be found on a boat named Nellie near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Lindbergh himself, the father, led the search for Nellie, and found that the boat didn't even exist. It went all the way over there. The boat is nowhere to be found. May 12th, a few miles southeast of the Lindbergh estate, a truck driver happened to pull over to the side of the road in order to uh, relieve themselves, use the restroom, and walked into the nearby woods. Upon doing so, he stumbled into the remains of the child, and the skull was badly fractured, and the body was severely decomposed yeah oh no that's terrible right And because you you know even though they're bad people you want to believe what the notes are saying and that if you give this money that you will subsequently get your child back and then everything will be okay oh. uh, but unfortunately that's not the way it came out and it just so happened that this trucker stopped at this point and i think it's a good time to uh to let you know that this was roughly four and a half miles from the home so not all that far away but very uh, coincidental timing, I should say. I, I I would say that the truck driver happened to stop here and happened to go into the woods and happened to stumble into it. I'm not trying to implicate the driver, but it's just a very fortunate find, I suppose. Otherwise, you have no idea how long this case could have gone or or these uh, kidnappers could have disappeared into the day, you know, and just never been heard from again.
0: Yeah, or I mean, just keep trying to, I mean, who, from at least at this point, who knows when they killed the child? God, oh, that's such a terrible sentence.
1: It, Yeah, it's a terrible sentence, but yeah, we're getting to that. Because as I mentioned, the the body of this young child had been severely uh, decomposed at this point. And we are about just shy of two and a half months away from the initial date that this all kicked off. We're, at, we're in May 12th is when the body was found. And just a reminder, this whole thing kicked off on March 1st is when the child was kidnapped
0: that's so long that's so mm-hmm. many long so nights. stressful oh my goodness yeah who knows
1: yeah and Lindbergh was able to identify the body because of the teeth of the child they grew in a specific way I've read that the teeth were kind of compacted in and had issues growing as an air quote kind of normal way I guess they were crooked or kind of bunched up a little bit so mm-hmm. Lindbergh was able to identify that part of his child And Gao corroborated by recognizing a shirt that she had made for the child, as well as the fact that the toes on the right foot of Charles Jr. overlapped, as did the toes on this uh, body here. And an autopsy later indicated that the child had been dead for months, possibly murdered the same night of the kidnapping. What a (sighs) Which is wild. The cause of death was determined to be a blow to the head. Just behind the left ear, there was a, a large fracture in the skull. And the final note here in the timeline of the events is that Lindbergh insisted that his child be cremated, which is interesting, might be worth earmarking that fact as well. But now this leads us into the investigation. What went down? Maybe what, what kind of resulted from the search, uh, the, the subsequent days, weeks and months after this timeline? So for the investigation, a man named Herbert Norman Schwarzkopf, who was the superintendent of the New Jersey State Police, had initially began to lead this investigation. But it's worth noting, Lindbergh used his influence to take control of most of this investigation, which Schwarzkopf conceded to. The first thing that was examined and looked at was uh, was pretty obvious. It was because of the copious amounts of ransom notes. Uh, They obviously looked at those first, looked at the handwriting, looked at the misspellings, the grammar, and everything, and from all that, they determined that the person was most likely of a German descent. And the point that takes that home to me the most is from the first note that I read to you guys earlier, which has the word good spelled as G-U-T, which is the German word for good, which is gut. Another interesting note regarding this investigation was that the handling of the crime scene was somewhat sloppy, allowing multiple people on location that ended up tampering with the available footprints. So we have someone who might be emotionally compromised, the father of the child who is taking over the investigation. We have a little bit of a mishandling of the crime scene. And so far, the main piece of evidence we have is that this person might be of German descent. Lindbergh's initial idea on who might have been responsible was that it was an organized crime member. So he appointed two speakeasy owners to act as intermediaries between himself and members of the mob and multiple members actually offered to help him from prison including al capone in exchange for legal favors and for money and to give you guys a scale of this investigation obviously charles is a worldwide figure at this point very famous but to give you guys a sense of the scale the president was informed of this you know the this went to the federal government but at this point in time kidnappings were only a state crime there was never any reason ...for the federal government to get involved with a crime like this. And eventually, down the road, this is a case that actually opened up new laws... ...to allow the federal government to come in on kidnapping cases where kids were kidnapped... ...and left the jurisdiction of the state when they crossed state lines. And so this is actually like a case that set a new precedent for this type of crime. But either way, at this point, going back to the investigation... ...the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Investigation, which would later become known as the FBI the US Coast Guard, the US Customs Service, the US Immigration Service and Washington DC police, they were all informed to be on standby. So this is how how prolific, how far reaching this investigation got very quickly.
0: I assume it's because this guy was a public figure, right? Like
1: It's it's absolutely because he was yeah. very very famous.
0: Yeah, very famous, so that gained a lot of traction. Unfortunately, right? The the flip side there him being famous probably allowed him to had the investigation more than the authorities should have let him, right? Like mm-hmm. you should. There's there's reasons why, right? Like there's reasons why you will let a doctor operate on their own family member or someone that is you know close to the situation run the things because it's just just so much emotional attachment
1: there. Exactly. You, your emotions could be compromised. You you might not look into things as clearly as you need to. You might uh-huh. miss some things, but. It is still worth noting because this will come up again in the theories. A lot of these things were earmarking. Okay. But yeah, so this is a huge case uh, now mostly being run by Lindbergh himself with a few nuggets to go off of thus far. And on May 23rd, the FBI in New York City informed banks in the greater New York area that the Bureau was the coordinating agency for all governmental activity on this case. A close watch for the ransom money was requested, and I think it's worth noting here that the ransom money was paid in gold backed or gold certificate dollars. This is uh, old money that is far out of circulation. You might be familiar with silverback dollars that have the blue stamp on them. Well, this goes all the way back, obviously, into the 30s when money was backed by gold and it was indicated as such with yellow stamps on it. And we'll get a little bit more into that later, but this ended up being a piece of information that helped them try to track down these particular dollars and who might have spent them and where it went. Yeah, a little bit of a trail there. So obviously, after the murder, the primary suspicion began to fall on those who knew or worked with the Lindberghs, and authorities began questioning multiple individuals. Obviously, they had a butler, they had a nurse, and the butler's wife also lived with them. So there's a lot of people in this home that are very close and could have been involved in some way one of the primary suspects was violet sharp who was a household servant at the morrow home and gave contradictory information regarding her whereabouts the night of the kidnapping she was actually questioned three times and that's how they were able to see that contradictory information and it's worth noting here as well morrow is mrs Lindbergh's maiden name so this is the mother at her home this is the household servant there.
0: Oh, uh, okay. I was about to say, like, that's sus, you know. Very sus. <laughs> that's, that's very sus. This is a very uh, among a situation here. Mm-hmm. You know, the you're 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 not talking with confidence. It's very easy to tell the truth because it's what you experienced, it's what happened. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, what reasons do you really have to kind of you know, to sit there and, and say things that contradict
1: itself? Mm-hmm.
0: OK, it's right.
1: it, Violet Sharp is an interesting individual. We're going to learn a little bit more about her in a second, but she's also going to crop back up in the theory section. So earmark this again. She's at the Morrow home, right? So the family that right. the mother comes from and and maybe the sister, because the sister is going to start showing up here in a moment. But so earmark those facts in your mind. Now we're moving forward a few weeks. We're in June on June 10th when Violet Sharp was about to be questioned for the fourth time. Once again, coming back to that story, hey, let's see if we can iron this out. She committed suicide by ingesting cyanide. However, her alibi for where she was that night had been later confirmed. So it's strange that she went off and uh, she committed suicide, perhaps for unknown reasons. At this moment, investigators are like, well, this seems very fishy on the timing. But again, her alibi was later confirmed. So that's very interesting. Ah, oof. I mean, yeah, you already
0: took my gut instinct from there and just kind of clear that up. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, OK, she committed suicide. She was very suspicious. Like maybe she had known about it or maybe she had some sort of helping hand or, you know, turned a blind eye to the situation, etc. cetera.
1: Right. And, and obviously someone earlier, uh, Cemetery John, had indicated that there were other people in play. And so your mind, there's a lot of gut checks along this investigation route that you're going to be like, well, that sounds fishy, but that also sounds fishy. That's why this case gets, it starts to get more and more intriguing as this goes on. Another suspect was actually Condon himself, the intermediary, who paid that thousand dollars to do so, to to have that role. Given that he was the only one in contact with the kidnappers, obviously he is a, a suspect. He was questioned by the authorities and had his home searched, but nothing incriminating was found. But it's also worth noting that Lindbergh supported Condon during this time when everyone was suspecting him. That Lindbergh himself was like, no, it's probably not him. Condon also pledged to help in whatever way he could, claiming that he could identify Cemetery John in photos or in lineups. And he indeed spent much time examining photos of possible suspects. Over time, the investigation slowly ground to a halt as authorities hit dead end after dead end and little to no new information came to light because of the high profile nature of this case. There were thousands of reports of leads for authorities to investigate, some leading them as far as the Midwest. But in 1933, so now we're many months later, authorities investigated the ladder that was found underneath the nursery window. And in part of that investigation, they got an expert named Arthur Kohler, who was actually from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Forest Service. So he could look over the woodwork, identify maybe what type of wood it is, uh, how it was built, because it wasn't a bought ladder. It was found out that this ladder was definitely made by whoever used it. So now we have somebody, an expert, looking over this ladder to see if there's any clues, any anything that can materialize from analyzing this. But on the other foot, we have uh, the plan had shifted back to trying to track down the bills. So we're still chasing down these leads. And in 1933, later that year, I should say, the president issued a proclamation requiring all gold and gold certificates to be exchanged for other bills by May 1st. And now I know this sounds a little bit random, but again, the, the ransom money that was given was gold backed. It is the very right. gold certificates that the president is now saying needs to come in. So this is actually a very convenient fact because this this end, ended up proving useful for the investigators because all this money had to come in somewhere. That or they risk losing the value of the ransom money that they had, I guess, worked hard for, if you can call it that. Right. But so now flash forward to May 2nd, the day after that, in 1933, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York discovered almost $3,000 worth of gold certificates from the ransom. And the way they did that was because when they gave the ransom, they wrote down all the serial numbers. That way they could recognize them if they ever cropped up again.
0: Oh.
1: Mm-hmm. You might recognize that same tactic from the D.B. Cooper episode. Right. When he requested money, jumped out of a plane. hmm They noted down the serial numbers, which are all very unique. Of course. Yeah, you
0: got to. Mm-hmm.
1: But I can't imagine doing this kind of investigation work in the 30s. It's amazing that they were able to still track things so well
0: right? Yeah, you didn't really have like uh, the the advancements that we have today.
1: Mhm. Digital scan and all that. So these, these $3,000 worth of bills had been deposited on May 1st, which was the deadline, and they were under the name of J.J. Faulkner and actually had an address listed with it. Authorities, obviously, went immediately to investigate, only to find that no one by the name Faulkner lived at that address, but a woman by the name of Jane Faulkner had actually lived there about 20 years ago, but when they questioned her about that connection, she claimed no involvement whatsoever. So that's interesting because she is a Jay Faulkner, but maybe someone just used her identity. I I don't know. It's very fascinating point Mm. though. Now we're jumping forward many months. It's January 17th, 1934. A pamphlet was created with the serial numbers of the ransom bills and over 250,000 copies were shared with businesses in New York City, with more being added in February. So now the word is out. Everyone's looking for these bills and trying to track them down. Some of the ransom money appeared in a variety of locations, including Chicago and Minneapolis. But the people who spent the money were never found. March 1934, authorities worked with Condon to transcribe all of his conversations with Cemetery John to the best of their abilities. Uh, It's a little late at this point to try to transcribe these because the conversations are quite old now, but still worth having though they probably should have had these earlier. But now flash forward to August 20th of 1934. And from around this point into uh, September, 16 total gold certificates were discovered. And by noting the areas in which they were spent, investigators were actually able to track down the movements of whoever it was that was spending them. September 18th, 1934, a Manhattan bank teller noted a license plate number was written on one of these certificates And they were able to trace this particular dollar back to a nearby gas station. And when they asked the gas station manager why they had written that plate number on there, it was because when they were paid that money in the first place uh, for selling gas, obviously, they indicated that this person was acting very suspicious. And so they wrote down the plate because, first of all, they thought the bill was fake. But then Mm -hmm. they continued to watch this person uh, noting that they had suspicious behavior. And you got to remember, you're getting paid in a gold certificate. A year and a half after they were taken out of circulation. So he's like, this is weird. Write down the plate number. And then I guess never told anybody. But anyway, that's where we're at. They tracked that plate number back and they found it belonged to a vehicle who was owned by Bruno Richard Hauptmann, who was a German carpenter who was soon taken into custody after it was determined that he closely resembled the description of Cemetery John. So boom, there's the German piece. You got the carpenter piece oh. and he matched or closely resembled the physical description of Cemetery John. Oh, Ooh, it's all piecing together. What's more is that when they came to uh, find this individual, he had $20 in ransom certificates on his person. So oh. he had even more evidence on him. Damn. Like, how do you get away? Like, how do you even talk yourself out of that? How do you? like? Get- I don't think you do. <laughs> like you just this, that's it right that match it gets worse for this gentleman September 24th 1934 Hauptman was indicted for extorting $50,000 ransom from Lindbergh obviously arrested for the crime and there are many other pieces of evidence that corroborate this indictment some of them might be circumstantial others seem quite on the nose and so i'm just going to go through that list of pieces here now he had multiple purchases that had been made with ransom money. He had been positively ID'd by one of the taxi drivers who had delivered one of the notes to Condon. In fact, to be specific, it was the fifth note. In his garage were $13,000 worth of gold certificates, more specifically, ransom certificates, matching serial numbers that had been written down. His vehicle matched the description of a vehicle that was seen near the Lindbergh home on the day before the kidnapping. Condon eventually positively ID'd him as Cemetery John. His handwriting matched when handwriting experts looked at the ransom notes. Uh, there were tool marks on the ladder that matched tools that were owned by Haltman. Again, we had that expert looking at the ladder, and that's how they were able to figure out the, the tool marks piece. Right. But the wood also matched the wood that was used in the attic flooring of this man's home. And so it's almost like he pulled up some floorboards and was able to make this ladder out of his own attic material oh don't do
0: that like you want to get as far away from anything that is you know what i mean that that just Mm -hmm. resembles you like what in the yeah bold
1: even more he had a notebook that contained a sketch of the ladder or a ladder very similar to the one at the Lindbergh's house oh no and i think this is it this is the nail in the coffin for me at least for this individual Condon's phone number and address were written on a doorframe inside of one of his closets. So you know the piece of wood that goes around the door. He okay. had written the Condon's information on there because Condon was the intermediary between Lindbergh and the kidnappers. So this is like okay. Clearly, Bruno mm-hmm. Richard Hauptmann is either the person or one of the people. Yeah, it's a mountain of evidence. Like what? Absolutely. Well, Hauptmann came forward and claimed that the money in the garage was left to him by a former friend and business partner, Isidore Fish. Fish owed him, supposedly, around $7,500, but the box contained $40,000. That's some good interest, if you ask me. (sighs) And he kept the money for himself and used it to live comfortably, as one might, you know, do. However, Fish died prior to Houtman's arrest, so he was unable to corroborate this story and whether it was true or not. He said Fish left the money in a shoebox, which he stored on the top shelf of his kitchen closet. Houtman's wife, Anna, said that she didn't recall seeing the shoebox in the closet at any point in time. So Anna's out here not helping.
0: No, not (laughs) not at all. Not one bit.
1: So, okay. Houtman, you look guilty. You look red-handed. October 8th, he is indicted for the murder now of the Lindbergh child. October 10th, he was given to New Jersey authorities to face trial. Now flash forward to January 3rd, 1935. The trial officially begins and this is the trial known as the trial of the century because of how this is this is unprecedented. This kind of complexity in cases up until this point, you know, we, we are kind of very familiar with true crime at this point, you know, there's a lot of famous cases that have a lot of twists and turns, but in the 30s, it just really wasn't that way. And so this is a really mind-boggling case, and also aggravated by the fact that this is a world-famous individual and his right. child. February 13th, the jury found Haltman guilty of murder in the first degree, and he was sentenced to death. So Houtman, as he would, attempted to appeal, but that appeal was denied. It's worth noting, though, that the New Jersey governor did grant a reprieve, which led to a short resentencing. Initially, he was meant to be sentenced to death then and there in February. But because of this reprieve, I guess they wanted to take a second look at the case. It wasn't until April 3rd of the next year in 1936 that Hauptmann was electrocuted. Now, this is what I find interesting. And I don't know if this plays into his innocence or into his guilt or or if it says anything at all, to be honest. But Hauptmann claimed innocence all the way to the end, even at a point when he was offered a chance to reduce his sentence to life without parole in exchange for confession, he did not do so. He still maintained his innocence and thus was submitted to the electric chair. Hauptmann's wife also claimed that he was innocent and fought to clear his name until her death in 1994. So that's like nearly 60 years of continuing to fight this fight. And it's it's just interesting to me, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's something that an innocent person would absolutely do, but even the most innocent person you know whether facing life in jail or the death sentence like that's a predicament does an innocent person maintain innocence do they confess guilt yeah how would a guilty party act it's very very tough to read out anything from these but it's worth noting nonetheless Dude, there's just so much
0: evidence like i don't i mean you know i guess they just Still wanted to just say innocent, innocent, innocent because you're just scared of the situation mm-hmm. and you, you're just hoping and praying that some way, shape, or form, like
1: maybe we can drag this out, you know. Yeah. Maybe, you're
0: just trying to buy time or yeah.
1: just, there's been a lot of cases, you know, where people are on death row and and uh it gets dragged out for better or worse, however you feel, and but then something comes along and it changes the case fundamentally, you know.
0: But that's a, that's a ladies and gentlemen, we got him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, like, it I feels don't...
1: very much like that. There is just yeah. too much to work against. Uh, so that leads us to some questions, you know, like, how did the kidnapping happen when everyone was at home? You know, the, in fact, Charles Lindbergh was supposedly in the study at the time of the kidnapping. And Fredo, I'd like for you, it's a relatively large house. Guess okay. where that study was in relation to the child's room? Right below. It was right below with a window facing outward to where the ladder was supposedly used. Well, not supposedly, where it was used. So you hear footsteps walking around in your kid's room. There's a lot of people working with you. You might be inclined to say, oh, that's the nurse, and she's just, you know, she's just with the child. Or that's my wife, that she's with the child. But a ladder being outside, if it's nighttime, might be hard to see. It's it's just fishy. It's really, like you were saying, that's some, like, ballsy moves to get into a house that's populated and yoink a a human being out.
0: That's old.
1: But also, the ladder broke. The ladder was in two pieces, and and so it was obviously indicative of it breaking at some point. And so whether the person fell or the ladder fell, there would be some sort of uh, clatter, right? There'd be some sort of like audible noise. So are
0: you, are you saying that there's more suspicion?
1: That there's not- some suspicion, and I'm digging oh. in, man. <laughs> but that's where we have to leave this part. Part one. The timeline the investigation we're concluding it next week foreshadowing there's a lot of twists and turns who did it how was it done a lot of questions come up in the theories a lot of twists and turns fredo
0: Mm, i have my suspicions this is (laughs) yeah this is a little bit of a hmm all right well you know i i'll reserve my thoughts until the next you you want to give them
1: a little taste of it Give them a little tease.
0: Look, I'm just saying I'm not I'm not saying that I'm going to mark off anybody just yet as innocent.
1: You got the entire list of suspects is still wide open. I like that. And I think that's a good it's a good way to go into these theories next week. It's a good way. But all right. With that said, thank you all again for listening. I hope you've been enjoying this one. Let us know your thoughts before the theories section comes out next week. Uh, if you you know if you think you know who did it or how it was done or if you know about this case don't spoil it don't spoil it. We'll see you guys next week for the wild theories like I said and if you enjoy the show be sure to share us with a friend of yours who you think might enjoy mysteries and conspiracies and all that and as always if you like the show, if you're new to us here, feel free to subscribe or like or however it is. there's a lot of different podcast platforms out there but make sure you add us to your playlist or if you're on iTunes in particular you maybe you know maybe think about that five star review. You know, help surface the podcast, get us in front of new eyeballs, other mystery enthusiasts like ourselves. But anyway, we will see you guys next week for the theories.